I'm George Kittle, and you're listening to the Niner Guys. Welcome, everyone, to the Niner Guys. Todd Kleinheim, Jerry Sue, with you. We are a couple of weeks removed from the Super Bowl. The offseason is just baby steps getting into uh, its groove, but there's still a lot to talk about. We're going to touch on Brock Purdy, his surgery, which has been pushed off, and does that mean anything? Uh, the quarterback carousel is already, at least the quarterback carousel rumor mill is in full swing, which shouldn't take long for uh, things to get moving. But lots to get into. Jerry, uh, where you want to start? Well, we need to touch on the Super Bowl since we took last week off. So, uh, you know. Oh, no. Okay, go ahead. Yes, the Super Bowl. So maybe just some quick thoughts regarding that, you know, that that championship game that the Niners should have been in, but were not. Um, which is for me, I think the way I was watching it was to see how things would pan out because, you know, everybody would like to tell me that defense wins championships. And as you know, I never subscribed to that theory. So I wanted to see how it would pan out. And I thought this Super Bowl was just another example of why you need to have a prolific offense if you want to win the big one. You know, I mean, only two teams in the NFL, in NFL history, produce more sacks in a single season than the Eagles defense did this year. And yet the high powered chiefs offense made that completely irrelevant. In fact, we saw both quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes and Jalen hurts play at a very high level and put up over 30 points for their teams, which is why as much as I know you thought it was a big ask, but I needed the Niners offense to be able to average 30 points a game for that reason. Because that's clearly what it's going to take if we're going to have a chance at beating Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, which we know he'll be playing in more of more of them in the future. So that's basically what I came away with after watching the game, as well as, of course, another semi-controversial call by the officials that impacted the game, which, you know, shouldn't be surprising at this point. But yeah, that's about that's about it. Well, um, in the three years doing the podcast, that might be your shortest open, but <laughs> there is so much to unpack there that I wasn't even ready to get into, but I want to get your thoughts. So let's start with your favorite subject, the officiating, because you just mentioned somewhat controversial call. Now tell me why, I mean, why do you think it was controversial? I mean, it was clearly he tugged on his jersey, which was a clear penalty. Is it that? It was the time of the game. Was it that it was just impacted what could have been? Now, I'll tell you, I was disappointed in the call because I had no rooting interest in the teams, but I would have loved to have seen the Eagles down three with a minute 40 left to have an exciting Super Bowl to see what, you know, could they come back or or, or whatnot. So that was my only thing. But was the call really controversial or just it took away from – what could have been entertainment-wise a better ending? Well, I think, as you said, it was controversial because it didn't allow for the Eagles to have a chance to perhaps make that comeback. But I just keep hearing that this argument that, well, it's the rule, so you've got to call it. But if that's really the case, then guess what? You've got to call it every time you see it in the game. So you can't just let certain infractions slide early in the game 
and then call it at the end or vice versa. You know, to me, that's the problem with the officiating, that there's no consistency, which makes the game excruciatingly frustrating for people to watch because you just like, well, I know that's the rule, but you don't call it. So is it a real rule? Or is it just sometimes a rule? I think that's where that semi-controversial situation for me resides. So, okay. So let me ask you, but, and I, and I bring this up only because I've heard the same thing. How do we know that this official who I don't even know who it was, didn't call it every time he saw it. Whereas Joe Joe Smith, who was refereeing another game, he doesn't call it. And I understand your, we want consistency, but how do we know they're not consistent as officials, but like, it's, it's like a, it's like a, you know, we'll say an MLB umpire. Do we give them the black? And if I give them the black, that doesn't mean the other guy who doesn't give them the black isn't, you know, is not consistent. We just are consistent individually. But when you compare us side by side, yeah, it looks like we're calling two different games. Well, because from my vantage point, I saw a lot of jostling throughout the game between receiver and cornerback. Now, because the flag wasn't thrown, we never got a chance to see a replay of, well, did any of them actually grab a fistful of jersey and really tug? I guess we'll never know because of the, the you know call was never made. And I think that's the problem is because people will always also say, well, there's, there's, there's holding on every play. So you can't throw a flag on every single play. So, you know, maybe what we should do is revise the rule book and simplify things. Let them jostle for position within the first five yards, which I thought was, you know, already within the rule book, but maybe by jostling, you can do just literally whatever you want outside of like flows lining them or, you know, <laughs> like right bear hugging or, something egregious right so it's again the old school kind of you're able to kind of tussle until you get beyond the five yards you know let the dudes in the trenches grab and hold just again like i said short of tackling the guy because i mean at the end of the day nobody really wants to see a game decided on a penalty flag uh yeah yeah and and i think that's that's what was disappointing because like i said i would have loved to have seen the eagles get the ball back down three to you know to see what they could have done. Could they have moved the ball? Would Sirianni have gone for, you know, could it could it have been fourth and goal from the 10-yard line? Would he have gone for the touchdown or would he have kicked the field goal to tie? Like, especially considering how much fourth down he would go for, all you know, kind of outside the box thinker and coach he had been. So again, I agree that was that was a little disappointing ending. Um Anything else from the Super Bowl? Uh, let's say, did you watch the Super Bowl? Did you only tune in for Rihanna's halftime? Do you have a, <laughs> you have a Siskel and Ebert uh, review of the halftime performance? I didn't watch the Super Bowl live, I will say. I just, I recorded it and kind of watched it in my own time, at my own pace, because like you said before, I had no rooting interest, so I didn't really care much about it. Um, I'll tell you another thought I did have while watching the game was in regards to Kyle Shanahan and whether he has what it takes to lead the Niners to win a Super Bowl. I mean, now look, I look, obviously Shanahan is a good coach. Mm-hmm. He's 
got many strengths, but he also has some key blind spots that I just don't know if he'll be able to overcome. Like whenever he gets a lead, we all know he'll get conservative and lean on the defense, which as we saw does not work against the chiefs because with Philly, they didn't even get a single stop in that second half. And they gave up two wide open touchdowns in the red zone. So clearly no lead is safe against Mahomes and Andy Reid, which the Niners experienced firsthand in their Super Bowl loss to KC. And while I was impressed by the Chiefs O-line, who gave up zero sacks to that Eagles defensive line, when I look at the Niners offensive line, I'm almost thinking that we're always concerned about their offensive line and how every single one of their quarterbacks always seems to get hurt (laughs) every single year. And if Shanahan doesn't fix that, whether it's protection schemes, whether it's personnel, then I don't think we're ever going to get over the hump. And the problem is, I don't even know if Shanahan considers any of those to be problems, whether it be the O-line or his litany of quarterback injuries. So I guess I'm just concerned that Kyle's stubbornness and unwillingness to adjust may ultimately be why the Niners don't win that elusive sixth Super Bowl during his regime. Uh, one more question, uh, centering up to, before we close the book on the Super Bowl. You had mentioned, you know, Mahomes, and you know he'll he's gonna you know picked up his second Super Bowl, and he's gonna pick up more. He's twenty seven. Uh, he'll be twenty eight to start next year. So let's assume. Let's just assume he does nice round him. He plays ten more years. Okay, how many Super Bowls does Patrick Mahomes win in ten years? I mean, to me, after what I saw this past year, I think the sky's the limits because I thought the loss of Tyreek Hill would have actually hindered his ability to do everything he wants to do. Like, yes, we know that Travis Kelsey is amazing as a tight end, but it was kind of, they were the threesome, right? They were the trio, your, you know, your Aikman, Irvin, Emmett Smith, right? Your Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. And then you lost Hill, which was huge. And I didn't think that Mahomes could do it, but it's proven that not only can he do it, but he just he just won another Super Bowl. So I'm sure he could probably, assuming Andy Reid's still coaching, sure. probably at least, like, you say how many he's going to win or how many he's going to be in. Uh, I mean, being, it doesn't matter. I mean, for my follow-up question will kind of be an expandatory, ex, ex, you know, on this question. But how many? How many is he going to go to? Doesn't win. How many? How many is he going to go to? I would imagine at least five. So, and, and I and I say this again. Here's the follow-up. The AFC is so loaded with all these stud quarterbacks. So if you're saying Mahomes goes to five in the next 10 years, what's Josh Allen? Is Josh Allen going? Is Joe Burrow going? Is Justin Herbert going? You know, is Russell Wilson never going back? Um, is Lamar Jackson, assuming Lamar goes back, is Lamar never going back? You know, does that mean that, I mean, there's all these quarterbacks in the AFC that would seem to, be worthy or, you know, oh, I mean, again, you put Joe Burrow in the NFC and you're like, yeah, Joe Burrow can lead a team to the to the Super Bowl. So 
are all which one of which of these of those quarterbacks, which of these, you know, elite type of quarterbacks is going to be your is going to be your Dan Marino of this generation just either won't get to one or might get to one and lose. I mean, some cuz somebody's going to have it. Deshaun Watson in in Cleveland is, you know, another talent, but which what are, which quarterbacks are going to not be able to, you know, taste taste a Super Bowl, let alone win it or win multiples. Well, Apologies to Chris Rose and all the Cleveland fans out there, but you're the Cleveland Browns. So I'm sorry to say, but I think Deshaun Watson is going to be one of those quarterbacks who never makes it to the Super Bowl. Uh Um, And it just depends on these teams. See, that's the thing. It's like with Josh Allen, I feel like the reason why he hasn't made it is because the Bills put everything on him. So until they actually decide, you know what? We need a real running back to help out Josh Allen. And we're, we need to operate like a real cold weather team. And from that standpoint, then Josh Allen could be another damn Marina who, well, Marino saw one, right? And that, heck, that could be uh, that could be Joe Burrow, who's young, made it to the Super Bowl, thinks he's going to go back. He's got all this talent around him, but for whatever reason, maybe not. And that's, I think, the reason why I know it's fun to have this discussion with this kind of a question, but it's literally impossible because you just don't know. You don't know what kind of injuries might crop up. You don't know, you know, what direction some of these, like, for example, the Cowboys back in the nineties, had they hung on to Jimmy Johnson, they probably would have won more championships. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So you just, I think you just never know which way this crazy NFL soap opera may turn, but just, on the surface, seeing how good Patrick Mahomes is, being not just an elite talent, but dude, I don't know what they shot his ankle up with at halftime. I know everybody was talking about how, like, oh my God, Eagles are up. Patrick Mahomes is hurt. This game is over. Yep. It's not over when you have Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback because dude's like almost like Superman. Not going to go full on. You know, whatever, like Jarrell from Krypton or whatever, but he's pretty darn close to being like Superman, which is pretty crazy. You know, I I didn't even mention Trevor Lawrence. There's another guy that you know is this young, talented guy going to be, you know, and all all of these quarterbacks. Not only is it going to be really difficult for them to get to the Super Bowl, a third of the quarterbacks I just mentioned aren't going to make the playoffs every year. And a lot, a lot of it's going to have to do with their coaching and their teams and their health. I get it. But at some point in five years, we're going to look back at this group and go, why is Justin Herbert one in three in playoffs and never gotten to a championship game? Something like that. So something, you know, something to keep an eye on a, a great off season discussion, especially considering how loaded the AFC is and, you know, the NFC is continues to be wide open. So uh, let's, let's talk about the NFC. Let's talk about the Niners. Um, oh, oh, here's another question because there's always the question, no matter what, would you rather your team lose the Super Bowl or lose the game before? So would you rather have been a Niners fan and lost in the NFC championship game with the questions that were out there? or lost as an Eagles fan? So you're, well, how about this? Are you saying that it is fait accompli? Like you're going to lose either in the NFC championship 
But if you win that game, you're definitely going to lose in the Super Bowl. So which one would you rather? Would you lose like just the game before? Is that what you're asking? Kind of like you don't know which one you're going to lose. Would you rather lose? Would you rather lose the NFC championship game or lose the Super Bowl? Oh, no. So if I don't know, then I'd rather be in the Super Bowl. And if I lose in the Super Bowl, then so be it. But if I knew I was going to lose for sure in the Super Bowl, then no, I'd just rather might as well just lose in the NFC championship. Make sure nobody else gets hurt. Everybody's good for the following season. What happens if, what happens, would you rather lose in the NFC championship game or have a coin flip chance to win the Super Bowl? Oh, coin flip chance to win the Super Bowl. Again, if I know I have a chance to win the Super Bowl, I'd want to be in the Super Bowl. Okay. It's only if you tell me you have no chance at winning the Super Bowl. For example, like in the situation uh, for the Niners, like let's say the Niners found a way to beat the Eagles, but had no quarterback <laughs> to play okay. against the Chiefs. Yep. I'd almost rather not get embarrassed in front of the world. Yeah. And 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 maybe, you know, one of our guys, like a Nick Bosa or somebody tries to play hero ball and ends up getting hurt and then he's out for the following season. Like that does the organization absolutely no good. True. Very true. All right, let's talk about the Niners. Uh Brock Purdy uh, was supposed to actually go into surgery today, I believe, or this week. Uh, in the elbow is still swollen, so they've pushed it off another week till early March. Does that mean anything to you? Because to me, it di- it didn't really mean too much. But now that you start thinking about, it's just another week. If they're saying it's a six month uh, rehabilitation that he can be back on the field now, now they're saying with the type of surgery, the brace kind of surgery he's getting that. It's going to be three months until he can start kind of working it out and start throwing in six months. He's a hundred percent like boom, ready to go. So six months, well, six months from August 1st makes it or from March 1st makes it August 1st, which is the very beginning of the preseason. So any worry on Purdy having this pushed back? What are your expectations in terms of the off season Trey Lance, by all counts, seems to be ready to go. Um, you know, the the 49er quarterback situation continues to be question mark as the best yeah. way to put it. Yeah, so. Exactly. Which is why personally I'm concerned. I mean, you'd think he'd have iced it and taken enough Advil to calm that puppy down by now. It's been over a month, well over a month. Um, but I heard that this could simply be because the injury was so severe. So it may just take extra time, but you know, we also don't know what else the surgeon might find when he finally operates on that ligament. Will it be a straightforward repair? Like you said, with that internal brace or will there be complications? So, you know, given all of this uncertainty, I feel like Brock's timeline to return will inevitably get pushed towards the latter half of training camp of training camp, or, you know, possibly even the start of the season. Cause, and, and you know, I, I just, it, it, I think it, all of it bothers me because I think Purdy can ill afford to have any sort of setback to the elbow mm-hmm. since his arm was 
barely strong enough to be an NFL star, you know, starting caliber quarterback to begin with, you know, and despite his feel good story story, we still don't know for sure if Purdy's legit or if he's was just a case Keenum flash in the pan kind of quarterback. You know, in fact, according to your buddy, Greg Cosell, he thinks it's still very much up in the air because he doesn't believe that the eight or nine games that Purdy played was a large enough sample size to actually know. And I think he was also concerned by some of the things he saw. He thought he Purdy left a lot of plays on the field while also exposing, you know, some of his weaknesses um, and if you listen to Steve Young, he sounds like he's still a firm believer that quarterbacks need to be like the Mahomes and the Hurts because, you know, these guys with dynamic physical attributes are the ones that he thinks are still the future of the league. Because when it comes time to extend their contracts, like the Chiefs have done with Mahomes, right, the teams have no choice but to lean on them to carry the offense and make up for all the holes on the roster when they're the ones being paid top dollar and taking up so much of the salary cap, right? Which means Trey Lance remains very much in play, not just because of Brock's injury, not just because the Niners sunk all those assets to acquire him, but because he's the one who has those physical traits of a Mahomes, of a Hurts. Um, you know, and I think, and I get the skeptic- skepticism about Lance, but I think largely the skepticism remains because he just hasn't played, right? And he's coming oh. off of a brutal injury. So I just think, in my opinion, I think, I think, I really, what I think is Shanahan needs to stop expecting Lance to be the next Lamar Jackson or the next Josh Allen from a running standpoint. Because while Lance is a dual threat quarterback, he isn't the type that you should be calling a ton of design runs for. Like to me, he's more of a Steve Young type of dual threat quarterback where his mobility is best leveraged with the second reaction plays and scrambles for a bunch of yards. I think that was Young's bread and butter when it came to using his legs. And I think it should be the same with Lance. I mean, if memory serves, I don't recall Bill Walsh ever dialing up QB power for Steve Young to run. And in my opinion, in, in my opinion, it's been Shanahan's usage of Lance that's caused all of his leg injuries. So I just think Kyle needs to let Trey just run the offense the way Jimmy and the way Brock has been running it for the most part and let Trey's athleticism shine when the opportunity calls for it instead of forcing it. All right. Before I ask you to get into uh, your, your belief on Trey Lance, I want to put you in Kyle's shoes, not your own shoes. Kyle's shoes. What do you think Kyle is hoping for? Is Kyle hoping for Purdy to come back earlier because that's who he believes in right now? Or is he hoping Lance blows him away so much that he's inserted as QB1 come August? Because my concern, or let, go ahead, I'll, I'll give you my concern after that. What what do you think Kyle is hoping for between because of this Purdy injury and what he's seen with Lance and basically Lance is the guy for right now. Yeah, no, I think, I think Kyle is disappointed in Lance because I think Kyle's vision for Lance was to be Lamar Jackson. That's why, I mean, I know people keep saying, well, they make him run so much because 
that's all Kyle has confidence in him doing, which, okay, maybe part of it, you know, or a lot of it. But at the same time, again, maybe I'm just watching these game with rose-colored Trey Lance glasses. But for the for the game that he played against the Arizona Cardinals, being on the road, being his first ever start in the situation that he was in, he made a lot of impressive throws. Did he make a lot of mistakes? Absolutely. Right? Was he ready? No. But for where he was in his development, I still thought he showed enough promise from a uh, from a just a quarterbacking standpoint, throwing the ball to the point where I don't think it gave Kyle enough reason to just go, yeah, this guy can't do it. He can't do it. I just got to run him because the guy can't, he can't do it. And, you know, and so I think that's why when Kyle had a guy like Brock Purdy, who is not only able to run his offense the way that he probably prefers it run, but he did it in such a fashion that was so much better than Jimmy. And he provided that, you know, some improvisational, right? Some, I mean, clearly Purdy has better feet than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's able to, you know, make some plays out of the pocket. So, yes, I think if you were to ask Kyle what he would prefer, he would definitely tell you, oh, I'd want Purdy's arm fixed and ready to go, and I'd want him to be my starter just because that is his comfort zone, right? He does – I don't think Kyle knows what to do with Trey Lance because what quarterback has he ever developed that's like Trey Lance? None. None. The guys like he's gone to battle with have been your Matt Schaubs, your Matt Ryans, you know? That's why everybody – Everybody was like, oh, yeah, Matt Jones, that's the quarterback that he's going to draft because that's the M.O. of a Kyle Shanahan quarterback, a guy who may not have the best physical traits, but a guy who could just do what Kyle wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, of course, at this point, given all the games that Purdy's won, he's he's going – he would lean heavily towards Purdy, just like a lot of the players, right? Like I think I heard George Kittle talk about it a lot. You know, during the all the Super Bowl uh, pregame festivities, you know, I think he talked about how he he, in his six years in the league, he's had six starting quarterbacks or was it five starting quarterbacks? Whatever. I mean, it's just been a lot. And all he wants is some continuity so he could develop, you know, some chemistry with one guy, which I don't begrudge him for that. And I'm sure it didn't hurt that Purdy threw him a lot of touchdowns this past season and won a lot of games. So obviously Kittle and and, uh, you know, Shanahan, they're all going to lean towards Purdy at this point. But at the same time, you know, I just, like I said, I with this elbow injury and with the fact that, you know, he got hurt not once but twice within eight an eight-game span, I mean, who's to say Brock has the ability to stay healthy over a course of 17 games? Because, I mean, if you look at it, look at the – think Kirk Cousins is good I wouldn't want Kirk Cousins but that dude is never like he's always playing I don't know if it's just because he knows how to preserve himself or or if he's just tougher I don't know but then you also look at a 45 year old Tom Brady he plays every single game mm-hmm. right so so I will say this I will say if if Kyle Shanahan truly has given up on Trey Lance and doesn't or doesn't believe in Trey Lance he better be in Florida or wherever Tom Brady is right now on his hands and knees begging for Brady to come out of retirement, right? Because, I mean, if there's anybody on the free agent market that could make a significant difference as far as fixing the quarterback position where 
Tannehill won't have to worry, oh, is Brock going to be healthy? Oh, is Trey going to be good enough? It would be Brady. Outside of convincing Brady to come back, you see Lance and Purdy as his starters or as his quarterbacks going into the season. Is there a chance one gets traded for for something? Is there a chance they try and, you know, recoup draft capital with Trey Lance because they believe Purdy will be ready and signing a free agent, you know, like Jimmy Garoppolo, but not Jimmy Garoppolo, that type of guy um, is possible? I think given their cap situation, it's not possible to bring in another quarterback that can be a starter. And I don't even know if there's one out there. I mean, unless you're saying, man, Kyle really does want that dual threat quarterback and he's just willing to, you know, trade anything that's not bolted down to the ground to go get Lamar Jackson or something like that. Right. Like, and that's not happening. Um, And like I said, given their salary cap situation that, you know, they couldn't even afford to pay Lamar or to go get an Aaron Rodgers. So I think that they, I don't want to say they're stuck, but because they're not in a horrible position, but I think Trey Lance and Brock Purdy are the guys who they're going to, who Kyle's going to roll with as, I don't know, 1A, 1B, however you want to look at it. And then they're going to bring in a vet to be a third stringer, maybe like a Matt Ryan, should he get cut by the Colts, or even like a Nick Mullins, right, who knows the system and could just jump right in and, you know, not have to – Kyle won't have to worry that this guy needs to be brought up to speed. Um, And then maybe also draft another developmental developmental quarterback, um, you know, late unless, unless they saw something in Jacob Eason and they bring him back if he's cool with being like the practice squad quarterback. Cause you know, after what we experienced this year, I think they must have four quarterbacks in the building that can win them games, which again, tricky because they'll need to find a guy who's willing to be third fiddle. Who's mostly going to be a mentor to the young guys, unless there is an emergency for him to play and will also be paid around the vet minimum. So yeah, it's, it's not the greatest situation but at the same time um there's still promise so i think that's that's where the niners reside speaking of promise the niners aren't the only team with quarterback questions so let me throw some teams and players at you because it's conceivable that the entire landscape of the nfl quarterbacking position can be completely upended so we're going to start with everyone's favorite aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Aaron apparently, you know, went into his deep, dark, four-day dark meditation, whatever that was, um, and was going to reveal himself like Tony Phil and Groundhog's Day and tell everyone whether he wanted to stay with the Packers, be traded, retire. Uh, nothing's come about that, but uh, is Aaron Rodgers quarterbacking the Packers next year or is he somehow with that contract, is he going to be moved to Jets, the Raiders, Tennessee? So wait, so is Mr. Ayahuasca still in darkness doing the soul searching or has that been done and he's now risen from the ashes and is ready to make an announcement? Uh, well, he hasn't made the announcement. I have no idea if he's still in darkness. 
literally well, yeah so i think being that we don't know what his situation is where he is at i mean you know the packers can't move forward until rogers decides what he wants to do whether he wants to continue playing or whether he's going to retire which i can't imagine considering he has all that you know he seemed to fought tooth and nail to get that huge contract extension um but yeah uh i just think until Kyrie rogers makes up his mind on what he <laughs> wants to do i think the qu- quarterback carousel will be on hold because i think teams like the jets will are you know waiting to see where what Rhett rogers and the packers decide to do before they proceed because i'm I'm thinking that Rodgers is their number one choice. Well, let's talk about that because Rodgers is obviously in control. He's signed to the Packers. He could retire. He could force the Packers' hand to and tell him to trade. The Packers could just trade him, and the team's going to have to you know, convince him to play or whatnot. But David Carr, or Derek Carr, was released on Valentine's Day. Not a very loving thing to do for the Raiders, although Carr might, you know, be appreciative that he gets a month head start on free agency, essentially. Carr has already visited with the Saints. He has been linked with the Jets. So if you're the Jets, do you try and sign Carr now to solidify that? Do you wait on Aaron Rodgers and risk losing Carr only to have Rodgers change his mind so Carr is out there with already a few suitors i would expect a few more because Carr's a good quarterback um so talk to me about saints jets and Carr. yeah i don't think the jets um i think like i said before i think i think rogers aaron Rodgers is the jets number one choice um, so I don't think the Jets are in any hurry to sign Derek Carr just because he's available. Um, in fact, it doesn't seem like anybody's in that much of a hurry to sign him. I mean, I was kind of surprised that Carr, you know, didn't turn right around after he got released and just sign with New Orleans. I figured that given his relationship with Dennis Allen and how the Saints have a decent ownership group, it would have been a no-brainer for Carr to take his talent to, you know, to Louisiana. Yeah. Um, you know, especially since one could argue that the saints are basically a quarterback away from being in the driver's seat in the NFC South. So I was kind of surprised that Carr didn't just end up there, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I think, like I said, I think unfortunately the carousel is on hold until Rogers makes a move or makes a decision. And then once that happens, then I think we'll start seeing the dominoes fall, but we're also waiting on resolution between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson because if Baltimore yeah. decides to move on from Lamar, I'm sure they'll have plenty of suitors to want to trade for him, um, including perhaps even the Jets. And I think mean, that'll present a huge shift in the quarterback market. So you're Lamar Jackson. You essentially are going into the last year of your contract. What, do you, what are you doing? Are you Are you hoping to just – break the bank are you hoping for that Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed contract to stay with the Ravens are you looking at the Ravens as gosh I'm I'm the one who's been carrying this team for so many years wouldn't it be nice to get to a place where you know I I could wouldn't it be nice to get to the 
Miami Dolphins. We got weapons galore, a defense, uh, you know, a coach who seems to be open to all kinds of offensive possibilities. Uh, you're Lamar Jackson. What are you thinking? That's the mystery, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I definitely think that the money aspect is huge. Right. Because of his style of play, he gets we've seen that he gets banged up a lot. And like you said, he's basically carried that Ravens offense and that Ravens team. And the Ravens offense has been built around him. So he sort of has them over the barrel. Right. Because um, that, you know, that offense is designed for him. Um, But at the same time, I'm not sure if, you know, if he wouldn't prefer to seek greener pastures whether it be Miami or somewhere else because he thinks he would like better weapons or he'd like to live in South Beach um but for sure I think the contract is number one whoever's willing to pony up that Deshaun Watson contract I think is what he's looking for although is he I assume that he can be franchise tagged and I don't know if the Ravens were to franchise tag him what that would then entail like would he just sort of hold out or hold in or whatever they call it these days or yeah. Or if they would just franchise him almost as a threat and then still trade him. So we'll see. Um, take it up the Eastern seaboard. What do the giants do with Daniel Jones? You're talking about a guy who was essentially on his way out at this time last year. The giants didn't want him. Uh, Brian Dayball, either couldn't replace him with someone he liked or liked him enough to ride with him for one year, but he's now a free agent. So if you're the giants, what are you going to do? Here's a guy who obviously has showed promise. He helped the giants get to, you know, more respectability than anyone possibly could have thought this year. But I think it was also one of those things that they were playing a schedule that was beneficial to them. Saquon Barkley was healthy and uh, playing with a chip on his shoulder that because he wants a new contract. If you're the Giants, what are you doing? Are you entertaining signing Daniel Jones, who, again, by the reports, wants his $40 million a a year as well? Are you one of the teams who – calling down to Baltimore to see just how unhappy Lamar is. Are you thinking, well, we need to trade up? I mean, what the, the giants are in a tough situation because you're either paying a guy who nobody believes is worth 40 million million, or you're going into the unknown. Well, I mean, I guess I'd just be banking on Brian Dable, Mr. Coach of the year, right? Just figure it out and whether or not, um, you know, that they want to pay. See, I don't I don't think that we're gonna want to pay Daniel Jones. I think it's actually quite comical that he he, he and his representatives are asking <laughs> for that 40 million year contract. I don't see any team coming up to pay him that amount. Right. Um, you know, so I think that I think that he ends up staying with the Giants, almost kind of in an Alex Smith capacity, you know, when Jim Harbaugh was with the Niners and Alex Smith was with the Niners, kind of like, all right, like, look, you've proven it one year, we'll give you a decent contract for you to stay, but you're still not really, like, the forever quarterback, right? You're not my forever home. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think that's what happens. But again, like you said, I mean, who knows what happens with Lamar? Is he going to look into that? Or maybe Daniel Jones is just unrealistic about where his, you know, what his status is in the league. He believes that he wants that money. He get He's going to get that money. And maybe, maybe Dayball's like, dude, I could do just as well with Gardner Minshew as I did with you. So just bring Gardner Minshew in at like, you know, not even near what it would cost to sign uh, a Daniel. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I don't. I think Daniel Jones either has unrealistic expectations or is taking this whole negotiating tactic, you know, to extremes. Like, well, I'm going to start really high, so when they start really low, even that middle part's going to be really good for me. Uh, but we're talking about a team with lots of money and an owner with deep pockets. You're talking about the Carolina Panthers who are in desperate need of a quarterback. They sniffed around Deshaun Watson when, when that was an opportunity. Um, they, they are in a situation with a new coach, Frank Reich, David Tepper, the owner, the richest owner or the second richest now with the Walton family owning the, the Broncos. But David Tepper's not, not shy about, doling out cash when needed so what are the panthers gonna do are they going could could they be one of these teams that goes "Eh, daniel jones 40 million sure why not no it's obvious you don't know what they're gonna do no what are they gonna do they're gonna they're gonna bring in carson wentz (laughs) carson wentz frank reich part three third time's the charm well, it, it's it, it wouldn't be bad because the first time worked really well, the second time worked really bad. So, which one of those is actually the anomaly? We got to have the third, third one to see. Well, see, we weren't really that bad in Indianapolis. That was just a one-off. So, um, I, I'm I'm joking. You know, relax, Panthers fans. I wasn't truly suggesting Carolina to you know sign Carson turnover prone Wentz. Um, no, I think, you know, I think having been through the Indianapolis Colts experience, I think Frank Reich, I would think Frank Reich would now want to, 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 uh, to draft his own guy. And I think that's, that will be the direction they go. And again, I understand, you know, you mentioning that David Tepper has deep pockets, but I don't foresee them trying to pick up a major, a big name quarterback at this juncture i think they're gonna go in the draft try to maybe trade up and get whomever whether it be young whether it be levis whether it be stroud one of those guys will be the guys i think that they're going to target all right let's talk about the i don't know the most interesting from a draft nick perspective and that's the chicago bears and justin fields this is a new regime in chicago no, they were not the ones who drafted Justin Fields, although Justin Fields statistically performed pretty well last year, especially, you know, with his legs. They had a record so abysmal that they're picking number one. What do the Bears do? Because you're sitting there with Bryce Young, you know, by all accounts should be the number one quarterback off the board. You can take Bryce Young and essentially reset your quarterback room salary slot by going back to the minimum, and someone's going to give you decent draft capital for Justin Fields. Or 
is Justin Fields better than Bryce Young? And it's better to build that offensive line or that defense or get him the weapons he needs. What do you do if you're Chicago? You have the number one pick. You got Justin Fields. You got this new regime, you know, who's isn't married to him from a couple years ago. What do you do? I think Chicago plays it off in the media. Like they're going to take Bryce Young. or They're going to take one of these quarterbacks just to entice one of these teams to hand over the, you know, the, the pull back, pull, pull the Brinks truck back and dump all these assets on them. I think that's what they're, that's how they're going to play it. They're going to make it seem like they're going to take a quarterback just so another team is going to come up and trade for that number one pick um, and then use the assets to build their team. Cause I think when you're, a, when you're a football team, that's that bad. And you get that number one overall pick. Generally it means that, I mean, unless you're like the Niners who just, had catastrophic injury upon catastrophic injury. But generally it means you're a team that is bereft of talent and the cupboards are empty in many, many areas. And you just need to, you just need talent. Um, And if they can get a team, let's say like the Colts, for example, to trade up with them, they drop down a number four in the draft order. They can still get that defensive stud that I think they're actually targeting. But like I said, I think they're going to play it off. They're going to tell Justin Fields, like, look, don't worry about what you hear in the media. And they're going to play it off in the media like they're going to be taking a quarterback, even though they're not really. All right. Tell me who the tell me who the quarterback is for these teams at the start of next season. Arizona Cardinals. Oh, my gosh. You start with the Cardinals. I don't even know what Jonathan Gannon's going to be. I mean, I don't even know what he's doing in Arizona. That that team is such a hot mess. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I I can't get a read on what direction they're going to go in. Um, because because let's start. You know, Kyler Murray's out with the the torn ACL. He's right. out until at at very best, he's out until Thanksgiving. At, at I probably considering the way their season is slated to probably go, they're going to be so out of it. You you shelve Kyler for the whole season. Really, you're not going to rush him back from an ACL for the last month of the season. So Kyler's out the out the door. Colt McCoy is injured, can't get through OTAs right now, but he'll be ready for training camp. Do you just bring back Colt McCoy and go like, well, he's, he's the best bad Band-Aid that we have because we know we're so married to Kyler that we can't afford to go in another direction? Or if you're Jonathan Gannon, was this part of your – pitch to Arizona ownership that I will come here, but we need to change direction on the quarterback. And by that, I mean, we're going to go get a veteran and a rookie or, and, or a rookie. And at first opportunity, Kyler is going to be traded or released or something like that. Boy, that is a huge shift. And I'm not saying that that may not happen, but dude, the, those owners just gave Kyler that huge deal, which makes me believe that whoever they brought in had to say, I can make it work with Kyler. That's what I think. Um, but given that Kyler's out till whatever Thanksgiving, given that Colt McCoy's also injured, and I'm just thinking this is a whole new regime. I think they just bring in their own guys. Um, did Let me ask you this. I, didn't, I haven't really been following. Do you know who Gannon brought in as his offensive coordinator? Was it a guy who was – 
maybe the quarterback's coach in Philly, or is there a Philly connection? Um, I saw they I saw they signed somebody, uh, Drew Petzinger. From? Oh, jeez. Drew Latin State? <laughs> Drew as, wow, 35-year-old Drew Petzinger. Uh, had been the Cleveland Browns quarterback coach. Oh, so, interesting. Because you know who this, you know who I was thinking of? The ultimate band-aid, Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I could um, see them signing Jacoby Brissett as, you know, that guy who holds down the fort, just like he did this last year with Cleveland, and he'll hold down the fort in Arizona up in, until Kyler's ready to go. All right, let me give you another team. This one has Niner fingerprints on it, that being the Houston Texans. D'Amico Ryan uh, took Bobby Slowick, the Niner passing game coordinator, to Houston with him to be his offensive coordinator. Uh, so what does D'Amico and the Texans do? Do they stick with Davis Mills? They have the number two pick. Do they take – do they cross their fingers that Bryce Young falls to them, or do they just take C.J. Stroud – or Will Levis, if they like, or are they in the let's find a let's find a Jimmy Garoppolo type guy and draft you know somebody in the second round? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And I, I, I initially I would almost lean towards a Jimmy Garoppolo just because you've got a guy like Slowick who is a first-time offensive coordinator. In fact, he only went over to the offensive so- side, like, I think a couple of years ago in 2019. I'm not sure if you knew that. But yep. I think when he started his career, he was more of a defensive quality guy or defensive coach. Um, so him actually following D'Amico to Houston to be the OC was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but uh, but being that, you know, D'Amico's first-time head coach, Sloak's first-time uh First time OC, I would think that they'd want a veteran like Jimmy, but what would but would Jimmy go there, right? Because I'm sure Jimmy's gotta be self-aware at, enough at this point to know like I would absolutely get destroyed in Houston. I have no talent around me and I would not last. I mean, if I couldn't last in San Francisco and be healthy for his full season there, no chance that happens in Houston. So I suppose unless Houston presents an offer, you know, like Dan, the one that Daniel Jones is looking for <laughs> to, to Jimmy, I suppose then he would go. But, but I think realistically, I think what they will do first is curse Lovey Smith for winning that last game of the season. So they are drafting number two instead of number one, and then they'll pick the quarterback that the number one team, the team who has the number one pick doesn't take, they'll take the second guy. So I think they will draft the guy as their uh, quarterback. And 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 honestly, it's it's not even it's not even that last game that they won. Yes, that would have helped. It's the tie that is <laughs> different. The, the, again, everyone focuses on that last game because it was so. Oh, you lose this game, get the number pick. But Houston, Houston's tie with Indianapolis to open the season was the difference in winning percentage of that number one. So you want to talk about? Yeah, the win didn't matter. How about the tie? You didn't even get the win, and you you are screwing yourself from week one. So yeah, that whole Houston season could have been a whole lot different had 
you know, any number of things gone different. Let me give you two more teams. Indianapolis Colts, you mentioned Matt Ryan a little bit earlier as a possible uh, third string coach slash player for the Niners. But what do, what do the Colts do? Do the Colts just sit there and take a rookie? Do they try and jump up to number one? I mean, they're Ursay is bold enough or crazy enough to back up the Brinks truck to do something like that. And it's not, it's not an obscene move going from four to one. Yeah, absolutely. I think first, I think they do cut Matt Ryan because I think if Ryan's on the roster, they owe him like another 17 million or whatnot. And I think having hired Shane Steichen as their new head coach, um, I think that he will want to, replicate what happened in Philly with Jalen Hurts. So I think, you know, uh, Chris Ballard helps them move up to number one and they'll take either Bryce Young or whatever quarterback, which probably going to be Bryce Young um, and start, start the, uh, you know, that process of cultivating, you know, a, a franchise quarterback in the mold of, of a Jalen Hurts. And the last team, last team I want to get your thoughts on the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, the Raiders. I think the Raiders, kind of like the Niners, are hoping that Brady would stick around for one more season. But since, you know, he's packed up and become the family man that Giselle always wanted, um, I think that maybe McDaniels goes and chooses the, you know, the former New England Patriot quarterback behind door number two, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that's where Jimmy ends up. I think Jimmy, Jimmy will end up in Las Vegas. Um, I gotta think this is an important year for Josh McDaniels, and that is, I think he really thought it was going to work between him and Carr, and Carr was going to be his, if not long term, at least midterm solution until he got tired of him and they found a situation where they could get a new young guy in there. But I don't think he anticipated only lasting what, 16 games, you know, before he asked Carr not to come to the facility anymore. Um, and I got to think the – he doesn't have the rope to just find some guy in the draft. He's got to get somebody who gets people excited, gets Mark Davis excited. He's got to get somebody. And 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 it can't – I'll tell you the, the rumor that's out there that I can't imagine Raider fans are – even remotely interested in hearing. And that is, well, Matt Jones worked really well for Josh when he was in New England and Patriots aren't in love with him. Let's just send him to Vegas. We'll, you know, go in a different direction. I mean, Matt Jones cannot be that interesting. Not, not that Jimmy Garoppolo is much more interesting, but the, the Raiders are in such a predicament and, and Josh is in a situation where he's got to produce this coming year. And again, we talked at the very beginning of the podcast, the amount of quality teams in the AFC, the amount of quality coaches, Sean Payton now in Denver, we talked about, you know, Justin Herbert, we, obviously the Super Bowl champions, they're all in the AFC West. Josh can't just mail it in and come in fourth place in the AFC West and expect to live to fight another day. Yeah, and I, I and I don't think you can overlook Jimmy's checkered uh, injury history. So I don't think he'd be going into Vegas as their franchise quarterback. 
more as like their bridge quarterback and they're going to draft somebody as well for Josh McDaniels to groom while Jimmy should know his system and be able to hit the ground running and win, win, you know, at least be competitive to win games right from the shoot. Um, there's a lot more to get into, and you said it earlier. We really need one major domino to fall. Um, whether it be Baltimore franchising Lamar, whether it be Rodgers opening up and saying, "Yes, I'm open to a trade," uh, something, something has to fall for these other teams to feel the impetus that hey, we have to move forward, and and a lot of that is. Talked about and discussed at the Combine, which will be coming up. Uh, when is that? March 13th? Oh, that's when that's when the season starts. So, yeah. So, things can change very quickly in the NFL, and they always do. But we need somebody to tip over that first domino before things start uh, getting crazy. And, and we'll definitely break it all down and talk about it because it's the ultimate reality show. It's absolutely fascinating what the NFL is able to do 12 months a year. Um, before we get to final thoughts, Jerry, I wanted to ask you, did you catch the XFL? Like he hate me? Like he like was that go on YouTube and and watch some vintage clips? Is that what you're asking me? No, and I'm not even I'm not even talking about XFL 2.0. I'm talking about XFL 3.0 uh, <laughs> run by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Um XFL kicked off this past weekend. You know, I, again, I watched some of it. It's it's minor league football, which is always, I mean, anytime you get minor league anything, it's just a step down, especially coming off of a month of NFL playoff football in the Super Bowl, the highest of highs, following up with, hey, and we're going to go watch, you know, the minor league guys play on the same type of field, the same style of rules. It just, it's not the same. It's, it's like, again, you, it's like watching guys try and play, but they're just slower and not as strong and can't throw as far. Um, but did you catch any of it? And do you have any thoughts about the next iteration of spring football? Uh, the only thing that I caught wind of was that they have some new rules or new alignments like i think that is is it the xfl has had that different variation of the kickoff yes where the guy kicks it and then but the guys who are covering it are lined up closer to the kicker and they are allowed to move only once the kick returner actually touches the ball yes i found that to be kind of interesting i kind of i think you know what i what i like about these these leagues like the xfl is that they're willing to try new things Mm -hmm. and be kind of like the test subject the guinea pigs for the nfl so if it's something that seems to work seem to be popular um then it gives an opportunity for the nfl to see it worked out in real time and to see if something that they would want to adopt you know as well i think that's that was kind of interesting because i know that they're always at this, you know, at this point in the game that they're they're trying to eliminate, you know, concussions or at least not eliminate, but reduce concussions. And I don't know if you watched it. Did you notice whether or not 
that way, that way of kicking off was more conducive to, I guess, the guys not killing themselves. Like the gunner's not completely getting maimed on, on you know, the kick coverages. So it's interesting because what they do is, like you said, they the nobody can move until the returner touches the football, which encourages returns, which, you know, it's an exciting play because now all of a sudden the defenders aren't within 10 yards of tackling them. They're 30 yards, 40 yards away from tackling them. So the guy gets more chances to find a lane, to try and pick something out, try and, you know, get better field position. On the flip side – returns of those nature is always going to generate collision because you know now the guy guys are just running full speed trying to tackle a guy so i don't know if it's going to reduce concussions although again you can't get the running start which right they're not going full speed 50 yards down the field or whatever yeah they're like Uh, right in front of the guy right i'll tell you the rule that i really liked or i really like seeing it implemented and that's the quote-unquote onside kick, which is not an onside kick. It is you run a fourth and 15 play from your 25-yard line. So if you want to try and get the ball back, you run a fourth down play from your 25-yard line, and you got to get to the 40-yard line. And if you get to the fourth and 25? Fourth and 15, fourth and 15. But still, fourth and 15, that's – I mean, you've got to be – You've got to be uh, Nick Sirianni crazy to be running that kind of a play from your own twenty-five. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's essentially <laughs> it's essentially the it's the same same thing as the onside kick. I mean, it's a wing and a prayer type of play because you're most likely not going to get it, and you're giving the other team decent field position. And but you're down, right? You wouldn't be and, doing and you're it. Down. And you're yeah, down. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because it's already worked because. Oh. Again, another rule in the there's no extra there's no kicking extra points in the XFL. You either go for a one, a two, or a three point conversion at different increments. So I think it's like I don't know the three, the seven, and the ten yard line type of thing, right? So the team uh, the team from Texas they were down sixteen to nothing late in the game. They get a touchdown. And then they go for three, and they get it, and then they run a fourth and 15 play and get it, and then they go down and score a touchdown and win the game. So, again, you're talking about a a lot of different things having to happen for it to win, but – and I'm not quite there on the three-point conversion yet. Like, the one and the two, I get, you know, that, you know, gives you a little bit, but the fourth and 15 just seems – like it's such a better opportunity to continue a drive than the onside kick ever was in terms of getting it. They're just, they're just, it doesn't need to be a 50 50 shot, but you need like a 30, like, you know, maybe a 30% chance to recover that kick to make it really entertaining. Otherwise, otherwise, it's essentially the old school extra point. Oh, we're kicking from the two. Yeah, you'll get, you'll miss five out of every 500, but you know, this, this is going to be, this would be interesting. And like you said, this is the training ground for these new rules. So the NFL doesn't have to implement them in their own league. They get to watch, figure out what the kinks are, what's good, what's bad, what's doable. 
Um, so are there no field goals in the XFL? No, there are field goals. There's no extra points. Oh, so there are field goals, just no extra points. Because yeah. I was gonna, I was just wondering, like, so do they not even employ kickers? Maybe they just have a positional player kick off. Since, I mean, you're you don't need to kick it in the end zone anymore. They're gonna be they're gonna be taking it out. So right. yes. So. Um, but that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. No, and, and then I guess the only other thing is in terms of the onside kick, because obviously there's no onside kick, right? There's no onside kick. Correct. In these alignments. Um, the only thing that you wouldn't be able to do is pull a Sean Payton like he did in the Super Bowl, where he would do an onside kick Surprise. and risk yes. knocking right at, at a time when nobody's expecting it. Not just not only when it's like, well, we're down, it's the end of the game, we got to get the ball back, right? Yeah. So I guess it kind of eliminates that potential play. Well, I mean, you you got really you got really excited about that XFL. We might have to, you know, break down some games. <laughs> might have to watch a game. You might have to break down some games this offseason um, uh, to see. But um, before we get out of here, obviously, Jerry, I need your final thoughts. So if you're a fan of the Niner guys, you know that I'm not a fan of HBO's Hard Knocks because, you know, they, they never reveal any of the juicy stuff behind the scenes. So to me, Hard Knocks is like chicken pox because you've got a major itch that you just can't scratch. However, I'm really hoping that that's not the case with the new docuseries coming this summer to Netflix called Quarterback where apparently film crews were allowed to follow Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota throughout this past season, and they were mic'd up for every one of the game, their games to give fans a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to be an NFL quarterback. How they ended up deciding whether or not to, to follow Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota, I don't know, because I'm not sure why anybody would want to follow them. Um, but given the season that the Niner had, I really wish – they had chosen to follow Trey Lance to be one of those quarterbacks because then us Niner fans would have been able to maybe get an inside look into what the Niner coaches have been seeing um, and what they've been saying about him in meetings to get a more clear idea, at least, of what we have like right now. Like, are they really a believer in Lance? Or are they, man, they do not think he's good at all. Um, and then obviously after Lance's injuries, maybe they could have followed Jimmy. And then after Jimmy's injury, they could have followed Brock, all of which would have been must, must see TV. But, uh, anyway, I hear that Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions is involved with this project. So I'm crossing my fingers that it's actually going to be good. Uh, but if I start seeing a bunch of Brittany Mahomes and Jackson Mahomes on the screen, then I'm turning that shit off because homie don't play that. Uh, but I guess we'll see in a few months when this docuseries finally hits Netflix. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, of those guys that you talked about, I'll tell you right now, like if they show some interesting stuff from the Marcus Mariota, when he was, when he bails. Right, yeah. When he was benched slash heard and takes off, like if they get into like, do we get to see him just storming out of the facility on that night, you know, type of thing? Like, screw these guys. I'm not like, that will be worth it. If it's, you know, if, if they, if they, you know, dilute that and sanitize that, um, you know, like they did to hard knocks when they, you know, got rid of, you know, the, the meetings where they were cutting guys, things like that, then it's going to be, then it's going to be tough. Then it is just going to be a, a docu series of, 
you know, look at how great, you know, these three guys are on and off the field and, and yeah. And Brittany Mahomes and, you know, all that. So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, definitely it'll be worth a look. Um, I'm going to keep my final thought in the entertainment world as well, because I'm not sure whether to be super excited or very disappointed in Hollywood based on the movie Cocaine Bear. (laughs) On one hand, people are always clamoring. Where are the new ideas? Where are the new ideas? Like everything's a, a sequel or a prequel or in a, in a, you know, an MCU movie or a superhero, like, well, here it is. Here is a bear popped up on a load of cocaine going crazy in the woods. So on one hand, I'm like, okay, someone was thinking outside the box, maybe on a substance of their own when they were coming up with this, right? Or, or, or I'm more disappointed that this is what you guys came up with. That's this is that you guys sat around a room and this was the one you decided to green light. But all of that was out the window when I learned this was based on a true story. This movie, Cocaine Bear, is based on actual events of a bear that was found cocaine that was smuggled and thrown out of an airplane, ended up dying of a cocaine overdose and had like four pounds of cocaine in its stomach after the bear autopsy. Um the bear has since been taxidermied and stuffed and is now in a museum in Kentucky. But I'm just wondering, am I really excited that Hollywood came up with this? Or am I really disappointed that Hollywood came up with this? So, <laughs> or are you just disappointed that you didn't come with this, come up with that? Well, I, I mean, that's all that every time I see a movie like this going, I couldn't come up with this. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, the first time I heard of cocaine bear, I actually didn't think it was real. I thought it was like some SNL spoof that they were making some movie about a bear, like you said, hopped up on cocaine. Um, And then when I found out it was real, I was like, are you kidding me? Really? You made a movie? How are you making a full length movie about a bear that's completely high out of its mind? Like you would think like, yes, it would be funny in a, in a like, Great Outdoors. I don't know if you remember that movie with yep. the late John Candy kind of a way where, oh, my God, the bear got in and snorted all of Dan Aykroyd's uh, <laughs> cocaine. And now they're, he's attacking the family and ripping apart the cabin to, sh- to the cabin to shreds. Or maybe it'd be like in The Hangover, right, where they found the tiger in the <laughs> bathtub. It'd be like, oh, cocaine party with the tiger and the bear with all of our cocaine and strippers. Yes. But to but to to film an entire movie, and the fact that it was based on a true story—that's insane. It is insane. So, um, haven't 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 bought my ticket yet. Not sure if I will, but um, if I'm gonna get in line. You don't think there's gonna be a line? So I don't think, better, I don't think better, there's gonna be get, a line. Get them online. But I will. I will be sure to report back if I do. In fact spend the hour and 45 minutes or whatever the length of this film is and report back on how Hollywood is doing with cocaine bear. So uh, with that being said, uh, it was an episode absolutely full of what if possibilities surrounding the quarterbacks. We talked about, we need one domino to fall and then, 
you know, we'll start breaking all of that down, but we'll be here all off season specifically with the combine coming up next week, legal free agency tampering shortly after that, the league year starting on March 15th, all of these things are going to get going uh, and we're going to have plenty to talk about. Um, so yeah, so, so just because it's football off season doesn't mean you don't have to pay attention to all the inner inner workings of the 49ers and the NFL and the Niner guys have you covered there. So for Jerry, I'm Todd. Thanks for listening to the Niner guys. We will see you next week. Goodbye.